This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Margaret Brennan at CBS News Election Headquarters here in New York. And this week on Face the Nation, the long and turbulent road to Election Day is almost at an end. But a dangerous new phase in the coronavirus pandemic is just beginning. In these final hours of campaign 2020, the candidates are in a last-minute blitz of the battlegrounds. A record-breaking 92 million-plus Americans have already voted. So far, CBS News estimates that former Vice President Biden is narrowly ahead. But the swing states are still in play. Democrats wound up their Saturday in Detroit with socially distanced, limited-capacity events. Former Vice President Biden sees the election as a referendum on President Trump with the spotlight on his failure to control the pandemic. And the first step of beating this virus is beating Donald Trump. We choose hope over fear. We choose unity over division. We choose science over fiction. And yes, we choose Truth over lie after lie after lie after lie. Joe's not going to call scientists idiots. He's not going to host super spreader events around the country. What Republican Joe- rallies are filled with adoring and enthusiastic Trump supporters, despite soaring new coronavirus case numbers, particularly in the Rust Belt battleground states. Key to a Trump victory? heavy Republican turnout at the polls on Tuesday. President Trump made four stops in the key state of Pennsylvania on Saturday. Who the hell's going to vote for this guy? You know, they keep saying it's close. I don't think it's close, but get out and vote. Mr. Trump's closing argument, America will be a dark place under a Biden administration. Joe Biden's plan will delay the vaccine. 
postpone therapies, crash the economy, and shut down our entire country. The president continues to warn of very bad things happening post-election due to counting delays. November 3rd is going to come and go, and we're not going to know, and you're going to have bedlam in our country. We'll tell you what to look for on Tuesday, and we've got final battleground tracker poll numbers, plus analysis from our CBS News elections team. We'll talk with the head of the Republican Party, Ronna McDaniel, and Biden supporter, Florida Congresswoman Val Demings. Former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson joins us to discuss election security, and we'll check in with former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning. And welcome to Face the Nation. We are in the final hours of campaign 2020. But this exciting exercise in democracy is overshadowed by the grim reality of the new phase of pandemic that we've entered. The U.S. has recorded more than 9 million cases of the coronavirus, with nearly 100,000 new infections reported Friday. 27 states have set a new record for cases in the last two weeks. And in the 13 battleground states identified by CBS News, the average of new infections reported daily has jumped 45 percent over the past two weeks. We've got a lot to get to today. We begin with CBS national correspondent Mark Strassman in Marietta, Georgia. This moment in Flint was a reminder. Joe Biden elbow bumping Barack Obama. Michigan's a battleground state for COVID and presidential politics. Over the past two weeks, cases here are up 82 percent, and the presidential candidates have stopped in nine times. But wherever they go, the Trump administration's response to the virus is on the ballot. We're rounding that beautiful turn, and it's going to be very good. Texas now rounds a dark turn, nearly 18,000 COVID deaths. Democrats think they could use the issue to flip Texas from red to blue. The president of the United States who took to a stage and said, we're rounding the corner. Are you kidding me? COVID consumes El Paso. Residents here have to shelter at home. Its non-essential businesses were ordered closed for two weeks. We have seen throughout history that drastic times require drastic measures. Drastic times across much of the U.S. For the first time, the country broke a half million new COVID cases in a single week. In COVID's third major surge, researchers say no state has reached its peak. Almost one-third of all U.S. counties meet the definition of a hotspot. Overseas, Europe's also in COVID crisis. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced a second lockdown in the U.K. The virus is spreading even faster than the reasonable worst-case scenario of our scientific advisors. In France's new lockdown, Parisians fled the city to ride out the lockdown in the countryside. And Germany's four-week lockdown begins tomorrow. Here in Georgia, Republican Governor Brian Kemp is now under quarantine. He was apparently exposed at a campaign event last week. Kemp has tested negative, but his two-week quarantine may deny him his chance to vote. Margaret? Mark Strassman in Marietta. CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto is here in studio to talk about what you should be watching for on Tuesday. Anthony, it's good to see you in person. Um, I I know 
you've been working around the clock and you've been running the numbers for this weekend. In these final days, what's the trend that's emerging? What do we know? There is one thing everybody needs to know going into Tuesday, and that is that Joe Biden has a lead in preference among the people who have already cast their ballots, and that is record numbers of people who have done so. But the president has a large preference lead among people who say that they are going to turn out on Election Day. And so that sets up the, the central question of this election, which is, can the president get an Election Day surge of his voters to make up that difference? And I can tell you by the numbers that he can. And let me also explain why that is. And it's the continuing impact of the coronavirus pandemic on voters. People all throughout our polling this summer and fall have told us that they're concerned about it. The people who've already voted have been more concerned. The people who are going to vote on Election Day say that they are concerned, but, Margaret, they are relatively less so. So how does that impact, given our concerns about increased infections? What does that mean for the outstanding vote? Could it have an impact? So, Margaret, it could have a big impact because so much of this is still about turnout on Election Day. We ran the numbers. This is our baseline battleground tracker estimates from all 50 states because it's a 50-state race that decides the presidency. And the states shaded in blue are the ones leaning towards Joe Biden. That adds up, as it has throughout the fall, to a narrow electoral college lead for him at the moment. But because of that uncertainty around the turnout, if you imagine, and we ran the numbers, that there is that Republican surge come Tuesday and the Democrats can't match it, then the president would hold on to a string of states that he won back in 2016. There's enough vote out there for him to do it. Flip Pennsylvania in our model and get him over the top, over that 270 that he would need to win. By contrast, if the Democrats can match that turnout, then that early vote where Joe Biden has a lead will become the dominant factor in this election. And it doesn't take much for then Joe Biden to flip this string of states from Arizona to Florida to Georgia to North Carolina and through the upper Midwest and run up the score. So what you see on election night is, it's like we, we overuse sometimes this horse race analogy, but let me use it one more time. Joe Biden has a lead, but we don't know how long the track is. And that track is the number of votes yet to be cast, Margaret number of votes yet to be cast in a year where we have incredible circumstances in which people are voting and the surge in early turnout. So does that change the states that we need to watch? What are, what are the ones you're focused on? Well, the ones right off the top are Florida, which is very, very important to the president's path, and Pennsylvania, which is very important to Joe Biden's path if he's going to hang on to the states in the upper Midwest. But back to the big picture, the right answer to that may be all of them, because a lot of these battleground states are tight. We're seeing record turnout, or we may be headed for record turnout. And what Americans tell us may be the largest election, the most important election of their lives, Margaret. Anthony Salvanto, thank you. We go now to Republican Party headquarters and chairwoman Ronna McDaniel. Good morning to you. Uh, in 2016, President Trump Good staged morning. this. Thanks for having me. 
we're glad to have you. President Trump staged a late and historic surge back in 2016. But you heard there, there is record early turnout already at 2016 levels in Texas and Hawaii. It's approaching them in a number of other key battlegrounds. So is your turnout, get out the vote operation enough to help you close this on Election Day? Well, I agree with the analysis we just had. COVID has changed things. So it's pulled a lot of Democrat Election Day voters into that absentee and early vote category. And Republicans are wanting to vote on Election Day in person and, and cast their ballot that way. So we feel very strong that we have a surge coming on Election Day. We've also built the best ground game in history with 2.5 million volunteers and 3,000 staff on the ground. And we are contacting these voters right now all weekend through the next few days to make sure they turn out to vote. But he's exactly right. The, the margins are going to be based on that Election Day turnout. And Republicans will have a surge that day. We're going we're gonna to have that. And that's why we're going to win. The president said yesterday, if we win Pennsylvania, it's over. But, you know, you need to do much more than that to get to, to 270. He's playing defense in Florida. He's playing defense in Georgia. What is the path to 270 that you have charted? Well, Florida's critical, and we've seen us take the lead in early voting and really erase the deficit we had with the absentee ballots. So as our voters, as early voting becomes available to our voters, they're doing it. And we feel very good about Florida. Georgia and North Carolina, the same thing. As early voting has started in those states, Republicans have, have erased the, the lead that Democrats had in absentee ballots. And then, of course, you've got to go up to the uh, Arizona and then the Midwest states, which are all too critical. And the president has a record to run on. Joe Biden said, I'm going to get rid of fracking. That's critical in the state of Pennsylvania. When the president, when Joe Biden says, I'm going to eliminate oil and gas, people in the Midwest are cold. We don't want to pay more for gas and for heating costs. So these are really critical issues. And of course, Biden saying, I'm going to raise your taxes is something that's not tenable for a lot of people who are living paycheck to paycheck. As you know, Biden has said uh, fracking on federal lands versus uh, others is, is a difference for him. But uh, to get back to that idea of the ground game that you, you are credited personally with really having invested a lot of money into for the Republican Party, if your voters are so excited about President Trump, why haven't they shown up yet? Because they really want to vote in person. And I will say why? it's been interesting, Margaret, this year as we've surveyed our voters a vast majority of them want to vote in person. They want to make sure that, that their vote counts. They're not completely uh, trusting of the mail ballot system, and so they've made a, 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 that very clear. And we saw this in these special elections, in the Chris Jacobs ele election in New York 27. The Democrats had a very large lead in absentee ballots heading into Election Day, and then we won Election Day by 40 percent. And that's kind of the flip-flop we expect to see on Election Day this year with our voters coming out Election Day as they stacked gains with absentee ballots. You had a, a big profile in the Wall Street Journal. It came out just yesterday, and you said in it, you acknowledged, we know some suburban women who were with Donald Trump in 2016 may have faded away. Uh, our data shows it's more than faded. It, it's been a large swing. Why have you lost women in that way? Well, I think women are coming back. Uh, women make a majority of the health care decisions, and as they see us on track to a vaccine, they see the therapeutics coming in. They want to see their kids in school. They agree with things like school choice that Republicans are putting forward and also law and order. What we're seeing in these cities, Democrat-run cities, have really brought women back. 
um, to President Trump because they do not want to see cities burned down, the looting, the rioting. We're seeing this in Philadelphia right now. Uh, they don't want to see police defunded. Uh, so women are issue voters. We know this, Margaret. We we're not monolithic. We're over 50 percent of the electorate. We're not single issue voters. But we're making decisions based on our lives, and every single issue mm -hmm. impacts us. But I do think one of the overwhelming issues we're seeing that's bringing them back right now in the suburbs is law and order. Dan Crenshaw, uh, as you know, a prominent Republican uh, freshman, was interviewed recently. And he said the lack of suburban support he sees in his area of Texas is about a personal dislike for President Trump. You disagree? You know, I think women can, I think we can get over, uh, first of all, if you don't like somebody, it's, what are, how are they going to govern? I mean, I don't know if I agree with Dan on that. I personally like President Trump, but if you look at taxes, I don't want my taxes raised right now. I want to have energy independence. I'm really pleased with what he's done with judges, especially putting a woman like Amy Coney Barrett on the bench, uh, who, who's a trailblazer. But why is the president giving that as his closing argument? You look at... He's instead talking he about talking violence about in cities. Day in and day out. Uh, not he's in the, about in the whole the, thing. He's the, talking to every voter about the importance of. Sorry, go ahead. We have a bit of a delay. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Sorry, that's okay. He's talking about safety in our cities, but he's also talking about the economy. I mean, he is saying the best is yet to come. We're already coming out of this pandemic with strong economic numbers, with 11.4 million jobs, with 33% GDP. And we're going to come out of this. And there's a real contrast between his policy and Joe Biden. He's saying we can take care of our sick and, and our elderly and those with underlying conditions and keep our economy open. Or Joe Biden, who's saying, if the science tells me, I'll lock it down, which we're seeing all through Europe right now, and it will destroy our economy. So these are very contrasting visions. And I think the American people are saying, I can't afford for the economy to close down. It makes sense to take care of our sick and our elderly and those with underlying conditions, but find a way to keep the economy open. Well, it, Dr. Fauci recently addressed that idea of only protecting the elderly in a Washington Post interview and, and basically says that that doesn't work as a strategy. But I want to quickly get your comment on something that has happened is getting a lot of attention. Um, the FBI is now looking at this incident that happened yesterday where a convoy of trucks flying Trump flags uh, encircled a bus, a Biden-Harris campaign bus in Texas. And one of them at a certain point uh, sideswipes, collides into the van traveling with the bus. Thankfully, no one was hurt. The president tweeted out a version of this video yesterday. What is your response to that? I mean, that appears to be an act of intimidation being endorsed by the president. You know, I haven't seen that part of the video. I saw a little bit of the Trump supporters surrounding the Biden um, bus. Certainly, you don't want harm, and we shouldn't be hurting other people. So I, I, the president would not endorse that. Um, but I, have, I can't comment on, on that because I haven't seen the whole video. Well, everyone who follows the president's Twitter account saw that, um, which is why I wanted to get you to comment on it. Thank you so much, Ronnie McDaniel. We go now to Democratic Congresswoman Val Demings from her district in Orlando, Florida. Many see this state as a must-win for the president, and Joe Biden himself says he very much wants to turn it blue. Good morning to you, Congresswoman. Good morning, Margaret. Great to be back with you. You know, this is a big state that you have that, that is in the crosshairs for Democrats. President, former President Barack Obama is making his second trip to South Florida tomorrow. Joe Biden was there on Thursday for his fourth visit, and he told the crowd, "If Florida goes blue, it's over. It's over." 
What is it going to take for Biden to win Florida? Well, let me say this, absolutely right. If Joe Biden and Kamala Harris win Florida, and we would expect if we win it, we win it early in the night, then it is over for President Trump. Look, we are taking nothing, absolutely nothing for granted here on the ground. We know Florida, large swing state, battleground state, has always been very close. Matter of fact, for the last 20 years in the presidential race, it's been within one percentage point or less. Who could forget Bush-Gore in 2000, where it was 537 votes? And so we're taking nothing for granted. The vice president has spent, I think, a significant amount of time here. You know, uh, President Obama has been here as well, Dr. Biden and uh, Kamala Harris. So we're excited about what we are seeing on the ground. But understand me clearly, we are taking absolutely nothing for granted, because we know, regardless of what the numbers are, it's going to be a close race. Well, and, and looking at our CBS News estimates, it's black and Latino voters who aren't voting early at the same rate as white voters, including in your district of Orlando. Our surveys have found um, black voters, young black voters, are just less enthusiastic about the Democratic ticket. So how do you make up for that difference if you're going to have to compete with President Trump getting that day of voter coming in from rural areas, as you heard uh, Chairwoman McDaniel say? How do you make the push and close that gap? Well, about a year ago, the Florida Democratic Party started working to encourage voters to vote by mail. Uh, we know the pandemic, we did not expect to still be dealing with COVID-19, but because of the lack of leadership uh, coming from the White House, here we are. So there was a big push to encourage our voters to vote by mail, uh, and then from vote by mail to early vote. And so a lot of the voters who would probably be standing in the long lines, and we're excited about the long lines, don't get me wrong, actually chose to request their ballots by mail and are returning them that way. Look, we take nothing for granted. We have to continue to communicate to our voters. We've been on the phone. We've been knocking on doors this past weekend. We've been having multiple virtual events, and we are continuing to talk to the voters to help them get them to help get them to the polls to make sure clear, they have are, a plan. And we are going are to do saying, that until the polls close on election night. To be clear, though, that turnout just isn't there in the way you need it to be to stay competitive. Are you saying all those ballots are just in the mail? What I'm saying is that we will continue to work on making sure that every voter has the information to, that they need. We'll remind them of the 9 million people who have contracted COVID-19 due, due to a lack of a unified strategic plan from the White House. We will remind them of the 230,000 yeah. people who have lost their lives, who will not be with their families during the holidays because of the lack of a unified plan. We'll remind those young voters that the cost of college education needs to be regulated right. so that they're not saddled with unbelievable debt. And so we will t communicate to the voters until the polls close on election night. Okay. Should we expect Joe Biden to either concede or declare victory on election night? You said you will know Florida early. That's not the case with other states. That's absolutely correct. And look, the most important thing I believe about election night is for each ballot to be counted for each person's voice to be heard 
And you're absolutely right. right. But that While might we mean that he can't say anything Florida, on election night. And, and look, one thing we know for sure is that Vice President Biden doesn't have a problem paying, playing by the rules. I believe it has been President Trump who is trying his best now to soar disinformation and distrust in the U.S. election process. And so, wanna, you know, I we want, want to that. make sure every ballot is counted. And we do know that that could very well take. We may not have total results yeah. of the race called on election night, but we have to be patient and make sure every Every voice is heard. Every ballot is counted. All right. Uh, and we are out of time. Congresswoman Demings, thank you for your time today. Our campaign 2020 live election night coverage starts at 7 p.m. on Tuesday right here from our CBS News elections headquarters in the heart of Times Square. We hope you'll join Nora O'Donnell, Gail King, John Dickerson, Ed O'Keefe, Anthony Salvanto, Major Garrett, Nancy Cordes, and myself, along with a team of correspondents who will be here all night long to get you the best information we can. We'll be right back with former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson and former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, plus our political panel. So stay with us. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back to Face the Nation here in New York City. We go now to former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson, who is here in studio, which is exciting. Um, we've both been tested, I should note, for COVID-19, and we are yes. adhering to social distancing protocols. Good morning. Good morning. It's nice to see a face and not just a Zoom screen. My first uh, live interview in about eight months, yes. I, I think mine too. Um, you told us before on this program that you're relatively optimistic about the security of the upcoming election. Um, but both candidates have both said things that have raised concerns. Joe Biden said at the beginning of this month that he thinks he can win as long as there is no chicanery going on with regard to polling places. President Trump frequently claims fraud. I mean, it's on his Trump campaign website. What should Americans at home be thinking about all this? I cannot, Margaret, discount the possibility of, uh, of tension, some unrest on Election Day uh, and in the immediate aftermath. I do know that our FBI, and I have a very hard, high regard for our FBI, has been very focused on this issue. Um, they've set up relationships with state election officials to monitor what we see across various different states. Uh, in the event there is trouble, our governors do have the, the National Guard to preserve the peace. But, Margaret, none of this discussion should discourage people from participating 
in voting and exercising their right and their responsibility to vote. I'm encouraged that more than 90 million Americans have already cast their ballots, which, if you do the math, is the equivalent of the entire 1996 presidential election. And so I, I remain optimistic, but we cannot discount the possibility of, of some trouble or unanticipated events, given the tension that exists out there. And it's the job of law enforcement to worry about these possibilities. Uh, your former shop, Homeland Security, the cybersecurity unit within it has set up their largest election security operations center uh, to date. They're going to be briefing the media every few hours on Election Day as well about any interference. How do you assess the security of this election and what the Trump administration has done? I'm very proud of the fact that my old department, DHS, through the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, it's a newly created agency, has set up basically a crisis action center on election day and has set up relationships with various state election officials. And they've even gone so far as setting up a mechanism to debunk rumors. That is very, very encouraging. Um, I'm concerned, Margaret, about foreign interference. There is, in fact, foreign interference right now in the 2020 election. We know this from our own government. The Iranians have attempted to intimidate Democratic voters. Uh, we know that there was a large-scale targeting exercise by the Russian government, but our government does not know exactly what their plan is. So there is, in fact, foreign interference. And so I'm encouraged that DHS is taking this very seriously. They've planned for this. They've had four years to plan for this. Uh, but there's no complete line of defense against a sophisticated foreign actor. So it's up to the voters to be informed and look past the disinformation that is out there. Right. What you're talking about is an influence campaign to sort of manipulate thinking or Correct. confidence versus going in and changing votes Correct. necessarily. Um, but back in 2016, President Obama didn't want a lot of public details about what Russia was doing to try to interfere in that election. He was criticized after the fact for it. The Trump administration has decided to be very public about this, or at least what we know to date. Is that the right approach? Well, let, let me disagree with you a little bit there. Uh, the director of national intelligence and I, on October 7th, 2016, made public what we knew then remember well, so about what was happening. Um, but that was very close to the election and weeks after a, a private company had detected it. And it was after a very deliberate exercise of declassifying what we knew in a way that did not compromise sources and, and methods. Also wrestling with the, 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 the real concern that by going public, we are, in fact, possibly undermining our democracy. Um, Do you think that's what's happening now by making this public? I believe, uh, well, I believe that our foreign adversaries, I believe that the foreign actors are interested in, in undermining confidence in our democracy, and that's probably their overall objective here. Uh, I am concerned that the president himself has said little to nothing to promote confidence in our democratic process. And so it's really on Americans to have faith in our democratic process. Uh, roughly one half the country, uh, and this is a very emotional election, roughly one half the country after next Tuesday is going to be bitterly disappointed. Yes. What I suggest is that it's more important for Americans to uh, think about the long-term preservation of our democracy for themselves, their kids, their grandkids. Preserving our democracy more than any particular political result is what is key here. 
Very quickly, um, you've been reported to be possibly under consideration as a Biden administration cabinet official. Are you interested in serving again, perhaps as defense secretary? Um, it's difficult to look past the next 72 hours. I, I'm a private citizen. I'm enjoying being a private citizen. I've been in government four separate times. If asked to serve again as a patriotic American, I'd have to carefully consider it. All right. Well, we hope to have you back Thank in you. that job or as a private citizen. We turn now to former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, and we want to thank you for being here in person. You've been tested. I've been tested. You're at a distance, so hopefully you approve. <laughs> um, I haven't seen you in person since, since mid-March, but things haven't gotten better. In fact, they seem to be getting worse and getting accelerating in the infection rate this week alone. I mean, the numbers are pretty staggering. The president continues to say we're rounding the corner. That's just not factually accurate. No, things are getting worse around the country. I think Thanksgiving is really going to be an inflection point. I think December is probably going to be our toughest month. But when you look at what's happening in states right now, you're seeing accelerating spread. Um, we're right at the beginning of what looks like exponential growth in a lot of states, the Midwest, um, the Great Lakes region, even states like Texas, where you see 6,000 cases, Illinois, 8,000 cases, Florida, 5,000 cases, Wisconsin, 5,000 cases reported Friday. These are very worrisome trends. Mm -hmm. There are about um, 23 states right now that are accelerating the spread right now. There's, the positivity rate is above 10% in 15 states, and all the states have an R above one, which means that they're an expanding epidemic right now. So this is very worrisome as we head into the winter. Uh, actually, that was acknowledged in a pretty frank interview by Dr. Fauci with the Washington Post that published yesterday. He said neither he nor Dr. Burks from the task force have briefed the president in quite some time. He said that's because the White House didn't like the news. They needed to have a medical message that was essentially consistent with what they were saying. That's pretty flat out saying that medical information and the public's health is being played with for political purposes. Do you well, agree with that? Well, look, I think the facts are going to overtake uh, any political dialogue very quickly. I think as we get into the next two or three weeks, it's going to be unmistakable what's happening around the country. And we're going to have to start taking tough steps. I don't think we're going to lock down like Europe is right now. And Europe has a very dense epidemic. There's a very worrisome trend underway in Europe. Europe I think didn't we'll, think they were going to lock down either. And that is are. true. But I, think, I don't think the political support is here for that, even at a state level. I think you're going to see targeted mitigation. States take local actions. But we're going to have to start taking more aggressive actions probably my my view is the inflection point is going to be thanksgiving you're going to see cases build over the next three weeks and december is really going to be the slow month but i think it's going to be unmistakable what's happening at that point and we're going to be forced to because the hospital systems are going to become pressed again regardless of what happens in this election the president is still the president until at least january if he wins he, he owns this through a, a second term what does he need to be focused on I think he needs to be focused on providing resources to states. They have to get a stimulus passed. They've got to get funding out to states to try to deal with this. I think we need to focus on what what's, we're going to prioritize in terms of trying to keep things open and get things open after we're through this, particularly the schools. Um, we're going to need to support states that have to take that targeted action, try to get compliance with things like masks. So I think the bully pulpit is very important. The national leadership trying to galvanize collective action to try to reduce the spread. You're right. Once... Um, we, we ensue with this over the next two months. This is largely going to play out over the next two months. By the time a president is re-inaugurated in January, whoever that is, we'll probably be through the most acute phase of this, coming down the epidemic curve. 
So this is really going to play out under the president's leadership. What he does over the next two months is going to be very important. So Joe Biden, I know you've looked at his plan. Um, if he wins, he comes in at a period of time in January where we might be on the downward slope here. What needs to happen in that November, January time frame, regardless of who is president? And, and are we in a scenario where Congress just none of what you're saying needs to be done gets done? I mean, what does that look like? Well, look, Joe Biden's talked, the vice president's talked about trying to get testing out more accessible to consumers. I think that's going to be very important. I think at that point we should be trying to prioritize open schools in the late winter or early spring. We're going to have an you opportunity to do that. Close again. I do not think, I think schools that are, are open right now might be able to find ways to stay open. I think schools that are closed right now, we have to prioritize trying to get them open. There's a lot of evidence now that the schools can be safely open if they take prudent steps. That should be our number one priority. I think when, if Biden were to come in, that should be a focus, trying to get targeted resources, proper PPE to teachers, testing in schools that can't use social distancing. Um, trying to get those resources into schools so schools can open. Also reporting on what the collected experience has been. If you can put out more information about what's worked and what hasn't in terms of keeping schools open, that's going to reassure more districts about opening. That should be a very high priority for this nation. Unfortunately, I don't think it hasn't been. We've been talking about it, but we haven't taken the actions to actually facilitate it. I want to play a bit of sound for you from something President Trump said at a rally this week. You know, our doctors get more money if somebody dies from COVID. You know that, right? I mean, our doctors are very smart people. So what they do is they say, I'm sorry, but, you know, everybody dies of COVID. It sounds like the president is saying there's some financial incentive for doctors to manipulate COVID data. Well, or they're look, making think, money off of it. I think it's troubling to suggest that doctors are manipulating the data to try to get higher reimbursement. The CARES Act, which the president signed, provides for additional money, about 20% more money for a COVID pneumonia case than a regular pneumonia case. The reason was, was because it's more expensive to take care of these patients in the hospitals. The hospitals are bleeding money. This was a way to try to get them more resources. But you have to have COVID and you have to have pneumonia and it has to be documented. Any doctor that would be documenting COVID pneumonia in a case where the patient doesn't have pneumonia, that's fraud. Also, CMS implemented measures to try to encourage hospitals to do more testing inside the hospital. So the testing that doctors are doing in the hospitals is because the government has encouraged them to do that testing. But the only additional money is if you, if you have pneumonia and you have COVID. That's not these patients that they're talking about that happen to come in with another condition and have COVID. There's mm -hmm. no additional reimbursement for that. Who do you think is telling him that? I think there's probably, unfortunately, I think there's probably advisors telling him that. I don't think the president derived that on his own. It is so good to see you in person. Good to see you. Stay healthy. Thank you. And we will be back in a moment with our CBS News election team, so don't go away. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. 
Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. We want to take a closer look now at what to expect on election night with the CBS News team that will bring you our coverage from right here in Times Square. As Nora O'Donnell... John Dickerson, Gail King, and Ed O'Keefe. It is good to have you all, although the secret is we've all been seeing each other and yeah. practicing and practicing yeah. and practicing. Yeah. But it, it, thank you for coming out to tell us and our viewers really, Nora, what to expect. This is such an unusual year, an unusual election. What do you think the viewers need to be watching for Tuesday night? Well, the massive voter turnout that we have already seen shows that everybody believes that their voice matters, their vote matters. There is a passionate electorate out there on both sides of the aisle. We're sort of focusing on nine states. We're calling them the notable nine, and we'll put them up on the screen for everybody to take a look at. Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, Ohio, and Iowa. Those are states the president has to hold on to. Then he's got to add to there. Maybe it's Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, in order to get to that magic number of 270. And while Joe Biden holds a lead in many of these battleground states and has consistently in many of them and nationally, I am hearing from both Republican and Democratic sources that that is narrowing. There is an intensity on the Republican side. There is an intensity on President Trump's travel schedule. He's going to five states today. He hit four places in Pennsylvania yesterday. On Monday, he's going to Scranton, which is, of course, Joe Biden's birthplace. Mm -hmm. So I'm hearing from people there is a tightening of the gap and there is an enthusiasm on the Republican part. They think that they can turn out the people on Election Day. And, and Ronna McDaniel, the head of the Republican Party, leaning into that idea. I mean, Gail, what do you make of this enthusiasm? I mean, well, new voters, you know, what this I, early surge? Well, you know, this is what I think. I think that there's enthusiasm on both sides. Like, people have never seen, I think the latest number was 90 million people have already mm -hmm. voted early. I voted on Friday. Margaret, I waited in line for two hours. Wow. For two hours. And I'm told that I was one of the lucky ones. Some people waited in line for five. And this is what I kept hearing. I didn't ask people who they were voting for, although I was very curious. <laughs> but what I kept hearing from everybody in the line is, we just want this to be over. We just want it to be over. So, But you do have an increase in younger voters. You have an increase in black voters, Latino voters, women voters, uh, black voters in particular. Shaquille O'Neal, who is 48, just announced for the first time a couple weeks ago that he's voting for the very first time, and he's 48 because he believes that there is so much at stake. But this is, you keep hearing that messages, messaging on both sides. There's so much at stake. So they're deeply divided, and people are very worried and very afraid. However this turns out, people on both sides are very afraid. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk about all of this on Tuesday. But, Ed, I mean, some of this comes down to just basic math at this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we know there's been so much time on the trail. Nora just detailed some of it. Both candidates are spending a lot of time in the Midwest really trying to win those those supporters in the heartland. For Joe Biden, he's got to bring them back to the Democratic Party. He does, which is why you saw so much focus this weekend by him personally on Michigan yesterday campaigning with former President Obama for the first time this entire cycle. They brought out Stevie Wonder in Detroit. Today, he gives a speech in Philadelphia, makes another stop in that area. That's an important part of that battleground where they need to run up the numbers compared to four years ago. Him, his running mate Kamala Harris, Dr. Biden, Doug Emhoff, all campaign across Pennsylvania tomorrow. 
for so long they called him the third senator of Pennsylvania. He's emotionally invested in winning that one back, especially they're feeling pretty good about Michigan. But look also at the fact that supporting characters like the former president, Barack Obama, is headed to Georgia tomorrow, not only to campaign for Biden, but for the two Democratic Senate candidates that are on the ballot. And they believe Florida. there's a chance that at least one of them could get beyond 50 percent and win that seat. You're seeing a conversation about unity, a focus on figuring out the pandemic from the Biden side versus literally, he says it, but it's true, make America great again, again. And not only the messaging, but also the strategy. Go everywhere. Hold these big rallies. Turn out your supporters on Election Day and make it happen. We'll see who ultimately figured it out. And that's the thing, John. I feel all of us are kind of holding our breath. No one wants to say which way this can break because President Trump has made his political career around defying the odds. Can he do that again? Well, think, let's step back and think about what the odds are here for an incumbent president. Usually, if you're not at a 50% right. approval rating, you are in real danger. He's not at a 50% approval rate. He's also president overseeing a pandemic that's killed 230,000 Americans, where the numbers are spiking, and they are spiking in the key battleground states where he needs his voters to turn out. He is in open conflict with his health officials about what to do. And he is blamed by the majority of voters for not handling the pandemic, which is the number one issue most polls show for Americans. So if the president is reelected, the rabbit he will have pulled out of the hat is the old line about the buck stops here. Americans will have said, the majority of us think he's done a bad job, four more years for him. Mm -hmm. That's an extraordinary thing if the president is reelected. And if he does it, it will be the greatest death-defying act he has done. How will he do it? by doing well in the rural areas, by doing well with non-college white voters. This is his base. And by limiting his bleeding among suburban women. He's been losing those voters since he was elected. He has to make that loss smaller. But if the president wins, it will be an extraordinary political act. And it'll be the final, in some ways, transformation of the Republican Party to the party of Trump, will it not? If you look at the various states, if you go and talk to the, the Republicans in various battleground states, it is already Donald Trump's mm -hmm. party. And you know that not only because he's put his thumbprint on the party, you know it because of the incentives for those who would like to rise in the party. What's the threshold question for anybody who wants to be a future success in the Republican Party? Are you with Donald Trump or are you against him? If you're not with him, you have no future right now in the Republican Party. And we've seen that trying to be sometimes in both places, Ed, with some of the Senate candidates. We have. Uh, you know, and you could go to Iowa, for example, where a poll overnight shows that Joni Ernst is actually in the lead after weeks of polling that suggested that her Democratic opponent, Teresa Greenfield, had pulled ahead. That was, Iowa poll suggests, in fact, that the shy Trump voter is emerging. Right. That independents are going back towards Donald Trump, that actually some women are returning to the Republican fold who were there in 2016 and may have not been able to say it publicly in a poll or to their friends that that has come back. Now, look, Joe Biden can win without Iowa. There's no doubt about that. But it's a question but about... Maybe sending a message, though. Right, about maybe, maybe about other places. And that's why sort of that's this... Is that a canary in a coal mine, or is mm -hmm. it an outlier? And two other women, though, on the Senate ballot that we should watch Tuesday night, Susan Collins in Maine, Martha McSally in Arizona, both have struggled with how much to embrace the president and how much to get as far away from him as possible. Wasn't Martha McSally really trying to distance herself from him? And said, she was, and then she's Martha. had to show up at a few of his yeah. rallies. Uh, the president's been reluctant to cede airtime to her in part because she few, wasn't loyal yeah, enough, yeah. in his view. There were a few bear hugs that preceded the pullback. Yes. yes. And that is the challenge that so many Republicans in these tricky races across the country have had to deal with. And the reason that's important is this is about this election, but it's also about future elections and whether the party of Donald Trump can win not only in states that are more like 
the America of old, but in states that are growing, becoming more educated, more diverse. Mm -hmm. And that's why Arizona will be so interesting, is if Donald Trump is able to win in that arena, it suggests that he can compete in places with a much more dynamic electorate. If he loses and there are two Democratic senators from Arizona, that will mean a longtime Republican state is now turning blue. And, you know, that was one of the things that I thought was interesting in talking to Ronna McDaniel, the head of the Republican Party. She focuses a lot on policy in her messaging mm -hmm. uh, and policy to reach suburban women. But what she talks about is not what the president is talking about on the campaign trail when he says he's trying to appeal to suburban voters. He seems to be sending dog whistles to suburban voters, you know, vote for me because I'm keeping your neighborhood safe. And then the question that many people are asking is keeping them safe from what? Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to me to see what happens in Arizona after the big endorsement from Cindy McCain. Will that make a difference? She was on our show uh, on CBS this morning and said, I'm asking women to step over the line with me and join me. She's a longtime Biden friend, but she's also a very well-known Republican. So for her to take that step, I think, sent a message. We'll see if people follow her. Nora, we just talked about this with Jay Johnson, the former Homeland Security Secretary, but there is so much scrutiny on this election uh, because of what happened in 2016 and concerns about foreign influence. I know you focused on this for 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, well, the former head of the Director of National Intelligence, Dan Coats, spoke with us exclusively. He's never done a television interview before. He's called this the Super Bowl of all elections. Why? Because of foreign interference. Russia, Iran, and China. It is the big X factor coming on Tuesday night. They want to sow chaos. They want to scare us. Yet we have the most powerful government mm -hmm. in the world. We have incredible people that are working to thwart those attacks. The nightmare scenario is some sort of cyber attack on Election Day in one right. of these key counties. But we are told, don't worry about that. They're on track for it. And then the other X factor is that some sort of violence yes. uh, rings out. And I think that's something we'll be, we'll be watching. We'll be watching that and bring you the latest. That's it for us today. Thank you all for watching. We will all see you on Tuesday. And if you have not voted yet, it's not too late. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel, Florida Democratic Congresswoman Val Demings, former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson, and former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter and Instagram. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. 
Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.